pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny, episode 137. Today I'm going to chat with Paul Carlson from Safety Solutions Academy, talk about what one man is willing to do to avoid quarantine restrictions, and discuss FGC 3D printed guns. I'm your host, Ava Flanell, and Paul, before the show started, you mentioned you were drinking a vodka whiskey. And I was like, oh, okay, we're at that point where it's like, yeah, we don't need chasers, you know, we're just... We're all basically like, you know, stay at home, shelter in place, whatever. And, and I mean, we might as well just get drunk, right? Just skip this chasers. Well, you know, I mean, vodka has its, its purpose and, and whiskey's enjoyable to drink. And so I'm, I'm not actually mixing them, but you know, I'm ready to sit down for a podcast. So I've got two drinks squared up, ready to go. Oh, that's smart. So you're double fisting. I like it. Yeah. I don't mess around. Not here to play games. Yeah. That's cool. That's, you know, when Ken from Century Arms recommended that I have you on the show, I'm already thanking him. You're definitely Ken? my kind of guy. Who's that? Ken who? Ken Ross. Ken Ross. From Century. No idea. No okay. Idea. <laughs> All right. Well, you know who you probably have heard of is Manicore Arms. Uh-huh. And uh, what just came back in stock is their Tavor, their gasketed port, uh, port covers. And this is great because, you know, if there's like gas leakage through the ejection port cover, when you're, you know, especially if you're shooting a suppressed gun um, on your Tavor, it definitely, you know, there's a lot of gas. So by using this gasketed port cover, it prevents that. And it just got back in stock. It is $47.95. But if you use the code GUNFUNNY15, you will get 15% off. Learn the things you never knew. On Deconstructing the Industry. Meanwhile, I'm classing it up over here, just drinking some red wine, but... Nice. I guess I got to up my game. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works for you. You know, I, I put ice in my whiskey and in my bourbon and... A lot of people freak out and yeah. well, it's just what I like, right? And I don't, if I just, you want to freak out about what I'm drinking, cool, freak the heck out. I don't right. Care. I know. I just watched some YouTube video of like how you're supposed to drink whiskey and the guy's like, and they put ice in it and it's like, no, you know, it was just, it was funny. I don't even remember who it was, but, but anyway, so you have a, like a really interesting story. So you are your firearms instructor, but before your career now, um, you used to be a teacher. Yeah. Which yeah, typically school, science and math. Yeah. So typically those don't really go hand in hand. Like even, I mean, you think teacher typically is like more liberal, anti-gun. And that's a big reason why I actually left the career, right? I, I mean, I felt like I was out of place when I was, you know, in, in a public school, which is kind of unfortunate in some ways that I didn't stick it out because having, you know, more of a conservative influence, really libertarian influence is, is how I view myself, mm -hmm. you know, would be, would be great for the schools. But at the same time, it was kind of hard to be happy when I constantly had to suppress who I was and what I did, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, I talked to somebody else, uh, Roy from Brownells. He was mm -hmm. um, in the education. I don't, I, I think he was a teacher. I think he was an English teacher actually. And the same thing, he quit just because, you know, he felt so strongly about the second amendment and everyone was against it. And he kind of, yeah, it was just, so I, I get it's, it. Like, like the, the writing was on the wall for me when I had to do a bulletin board, right. You know, about me bulletin board. Mm-hmm. And one of my colleagues was the month before and he put up about his soccer, you know, team that he's on in the summer. And so I, I'd won uh, and it was just a point series national championship. But, you know, in USPSA, I'd won a national championship that year. So I started to hang up stuff and my principal was like, what are you <laughs> doing? I'm like, this is me. And they're just like, absolutely not. I'm like, wait a minute. So now it's like out with the first and the second together. Yeah, like, exactly. Awesome. I know. Love it. All right. So let's go to your current career. So when yeah. did you, at what point did you decide that you were going to branch off and become a firearms instructor? And I'm assuming that that was your next step. Yeah, it was. Um, and it was actually when, when my first daughter was born, my wife was from Ohio. I was from Michigan. When I relocated to Ohio, I took a huge hit in salary mm -hmm. and it, that was another part of the motivation to say, man, this really isn't for me. So when my salary was basically cut in half because I moved states yeah. and, and our daughter was born, I was like, 
I'm not going to keep working to make, you know, $5,000 after I pay for somebody else to raise my kid. It just doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense to me. So Mm -hmm. that was the, uh, that was the time I exited teaching. And when I did that, I'd been shooting for a long time. I was teaching informally, you know, a good bit, uh, you know, doing safety courses at matches, you know, teaching um, all kinds of little USPSA things. And I kind of just decided to, to go headlong into it. Very nice. So, uh, were you, did you, were you like raised around guns or when did you start shooting? No, my, I brought home a shotgun when I became an adult and my mother cried crocodile tears. And at one point in time, I, I was gone from the house and my shotgun was disassembled. So it was in pieces inside a gun safe, but I hadn't locked the safe. It was the only gun I owned. And I came home to, you know, two holes in the drywall and a chain passed around the safe. And my dad had literally punched a hole in the wall to be able to to put a chain around the safe to make sure that somebody couldn't access the gun while I was at the store picking something up or something. So that was kind of house. And I'm not saying that was a responsible decision to leave an inner inanimate object. But that's also just a little extreme to punch a hole in the wall. Right. Especially when it's dissembled. Right. So. Yeah. So what do they, like, what do they think now? Uh, you know, my dad looks to me for gun advice these days. Okay. He doesn't follow it, right? I mean, I'll tell him exactly what it is he should do, and then he does exactly the opposite. Um, he recently bought a 10-gauge shotgun just to have, a, you know, another shotgun around the house in case he needed to defend the house. I was thinking, well, you know, that 28-inch barrel is probably not going to come in so handy moving around the house, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So yeah. when you decided to become a firearms instructor, and that is when you – you created your business, right? Or did you work under somebody else? Yeah, no, I created my own business. You know, I, I had some experience with other folks in the industry um, in the Detroit area, Ian Kinder of Live Safe Academy, who's still around doing great stuff there. And I, I really never considered at that point being an instructor under somebody else's tutelage officially. Mm-hmm. Now, having mentors, Oh yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned, Ian Kinder, Brian Bastinelli of Fortis Defense, Luke Kyoto was somebody that I studied with a lot early on. You know, so I spent a lot of time about pe- with people that knew more than I knew to mm-hmm. learn, but I was never employed by somebody else as an instructor. Gotcha. And then um, on your website in your bio, it said that you know you were doing a USPSA, and you yeah. kind of concluded that you know, like maybe this isn't really you're not training yourself when it comes to defensive scenarios. Yeah. I mean, I I felt like at the time that, man, I can shoot USPSA. Like I'm good to go. Right. If anything ever happens, I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. And USPSA is great. Don't get me wrong. IDPA, fabulous. Mm -hmm. Yes. Do those things. But then we also have to understand that neither of those things can simulate violence to the level that we need to have simulated to be able to be prepared for, you know, that, that violent encounter. Yeah. I totally agree. Although, and, but I do think that it does have, you know, you, you do learn quite a bit from it. So, you know, like once, you know, that buzzer goes off or the beep's like, oh, you kind of come, kind of go in panic mode. You have to act quick. You have to make sure that your hits are counting, you know, time is essential. And, uh, and then with IDPA, I mean, you, you have to, you know, make sure that you're behind cover at all times, which I always thought was Mm -hmm. kind of useful that you could apply to, uh, real life situations. Yeah, there's no doubt that you can make competition very beneficial. What what happened with me was the fact that I wanted to win, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to go fast. And when I want to sound like Ricky Bobby here, but, um, <laughs> you know, I I didn't worry about anything else other than going fast. And so what I caution people about is – if you're going to shoot competition, whatever the game is, I don't care. Make sure that you put the defensive nature of what you want to do at the front if that is truly a priority to you. Mm-hmm. If you just want to play a game, go, have fun, you know, do great things, have a good time, send me pictures. But if you're really thinking about this from a defensive standpoint, then you can't let the game rule the roost, right? And, and I found myself caring for self-defense an STI Eagle double stack 40 caliber pistol because it mimicked my competition gun. Mm -hmm. You know, I had this super awesome Brazos custom, you know, $3,500 pistol. It's an amazing gun. I should 
probably really sell it and, you know, buy something that I'll actually use these days. <laughs> right. But, you know, it, it's backwards to choose my carry gear based on my competition gear. Yeah. So I'm, I'm putting compromises into that carry gear because I want it to match up with what I'm doing in competition. Now it should be the other way around. Yeah. And so that's what people lose sight of, I think. And in this whole argument, you know, is competition good for defensive shooting or not? Competition shooting is competition shooting. It's inert. It doesn't, it's what you do with it. Mm-hmm. It's what you do that makes the difference. Well, and I was screwing it all up. That's what I know. Well, I mean, but you're still practicing. You're still shooting, which is more than, yeah. you know, what majority of the gun owners can right. say. Because most of them will buy a gun, put it up in their closet and never touch it unless, you know, they think they need it. And for all they know, it doesn't even work. Yes. So, that is a true statement. Yeah. So what types of training programs do you provide? I, I really focus on trying to provide a full package. So I work to host instructors that fill in the niches that I don't fill in. I'm really a, a defensive handgun, defensive carbine guy. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I want to bring in instructors that are going to help with the legal aspect, the medical aspect, the psychological aspect, the, the less lethal. So that's what I've been working on over the years is to try and bring in the whole picture. And, and my specialization really has started to come into the idea of how it is that we can work on the range, in live fire, in making decisions, Mm -hmm. making choices that are going to benefit us when it comes to dealing with that violent encounter. Yeah. And especially with the medical, you know, I I think that more people should probably seek that kind of training just because, you know, as they say, you're probably going to experience something where you'll have to use like a tourniquet or pack a wound more than, you know, you would probably a gunfight. Yeah, absolutely. And and anybody that thinks that they need to carry a gun because they're going to experience violence needs to understand the really random nature of violence mm-hmm. and the fact that you can do everything right and still end up bleeding out, right? Yeah. Or someone you love could be in that situation. Yeah. And so you have to have the tools to be ready to take care of that situation. And more importantly, the knowledge. You have to know and understand how to deal with those situations. Mm-hmm. And and then there's the part that you just mentioned, the way increased likelihood. You know, I can think of three instances where I administered medical care that made a difference in someone's survivability. And I've, you know, shot zero tangles in the face at this point in time. And I hope it stays that way. Yeah. Wow. So when you had to use your medical training, do you mind if I ask what it was that you had to do? No, not at all. So I spent a lot of time as a ski patroller in college. I found a good way to get my phys ed credits was to join the ski patrol. So I did that. And that put me in lots of situations where I was dealing with people that had injuries. Very rarely were they serious injuries, but I did deal with a a femur fracture. And that was, that was kind of a big deal when that happened. Uh, Another time spent time, a lot of time in the mountains and had a climbing accident well, I had my own climbing accident, but somebody else had a climbing accident, rappelled off the end of a rope and fell 25 or 30 feet mm, and wow. was banged up pretty bad. So we ended up backboarding that guy and, and getting him to the road where medical attention could reach him. And then, you know, typical thing that most people are going to see, automobile accident. Yeah. You know, I'm driving late at night and this was actually during the USPSA years when I was living in a van down by the river driving between matches and a uh, car vehicle in front of me rolled over. Apparently the, the husband was asleep in the back seat and was ejected. And so, you know, I was the first responder there on scene and, and we got him backboarded up when, when medical attention arrived. So, you know, those are three scenarios where, you know, things were relatively serious. Mm-hmm. And that's also why it's important to always keep like a kit in your car as well, right? right. which a lot of people don't, but I'm going to take a quick break and talk about SB tactical real quick. So SB Tactical, they have their TF-1913, which is, um, it's a, basically a triangle, um, stock, or I'm sorry, a triangle brace and it folds to the left side. It's really cool. Uh, Palmetto State Armory, they were putting them on a lot of their guns and they were exclusive for a while, but now SB Tactical, um, can also sell them. Their contract, I think, with them ended. I have a few. They're awesome. I'm actually going to put them on one of my AK pistols, but you can put them on a bunch of different guns. So right now with coronavirus, they're not shipping, but you can find their products at a bunch of different places, you know, like Brownells, Rainier Arms, you know, they have like a list of all the places that you can 
that, you know, sell their products. And that is at sb-tactical.com. And when they start shipping again, if you want to use the code gunfunny15, that will get you 15% off. So Paul, tell me about the class that you teach that uh, revolves around a vehicle. So the class that I teach is called critical vehicle carry. And the whole idea is to help give people the skills and strategies that they need to be able to work around one of the most common things that we spend time in and around, and that's our cars. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people make a lot of assumptions and mistakes when it comes to carrying concealed in and around their vehicle. And, And what I really want to do is give people the opportunity to think about the choices that they're making when it comes to carry and make the best choices possible. It's not some kind of a high speed, you know, shoot underneath the vehicle, you know, Will Petty class, which I'm, I'm not criticizing that at all. You know, especially if you're law enforcement, yes, you should be taking a course like Petty's course, but like we need to think about how we use our key fob to lock and unlock the doors, Mm -hmm. how you have your car set up to, you know, is it going to unlock as soon as you put it in a park? Is that a good idea? Do you want that to happen? Um, Where are you going to be keeping your gun while you're in your vehicle? You know, lots of folks have, you know, a car gun that Mm -hmm. is either in a holster or a stash someplace. Okay. So how realistic is that? Can we really make that work? Or are there some shortcomings that maybe folks haven't considered? That's a whole idea behind the class. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Well, I realized my car, it has like a mind of its own, but one of the things that's nice is, uh, I think just with the whole coronavirus, my mind, and I think everyone could probably agree. I've just been kind of like, I don't know, almost like an airhead. Like I just haven't been able to concentrate that well on really anything. And I think because in the back of your mind, you're kind of like worried about the future and this virus and the economy and stuff. So literally three times in one day, I almost locked my keys in my car, (laughs) (laughs) which I've never done that. I mean, well, I did it once when I was 16, but I noticed that my, I can't lock my keys in my car because it just, a little alarm sounds, you know, if my keys are in my car and I try to lock it, which is, which is really nice. And then another great feature in my opinion is when I open, when I go to my car and I, unlock it, it'll only unlock that door that I'm right. going into as opposed to all the right. other ones. So nobody can jump in. But yeah. and, and those are the kinds of things that people should think about. And what most folks don't realize is much of that in a car from, let's say 2013 on 2012 on a lot of that's programmable, mm-hmm. right? You can change it so that when you unlock with one press of the fob, only the driver's door unlocks. And when you press it twice in rapid succession, now all the doors unlock. Mm -hmm. There are times when that's handy, um, but other times you don't want all those doors to unlock at once. So just taking some time, God forbid we actually read the owner's manual of anything, right? But it it might make sense to do that. And and like you mentioned about the, the whole coronavirus issue, you know, one of the things that's happened with me is I've injected new parts into my routine, right? Before I get out of the vehicle and every time I get back in and I'm sanitizing my hands now, right? I'm sanitizing on the way out to protect other people on the way back in to protect me. Mm -hmm. And does that change things? Well, yeah. yeah. You know, when I'm distracted doing that, it may mean that I forget about some other part of the typical routine I have before I exit the vehicle. Yeah. I totally agree. What do you think? I mean, do you think that crime and stuff is going to heighten with everything going on? One of the things that I'll say that I know for sure is I don't have any of the answers, right? Yeah. My gut tells me that it has to increase. And and if we think about it just from the standpoint of jails and prisons are being forced to release prisoners. Mm-hmm. Those folks are coming out onto the street. They may or may not have a place to live. They certainly haven't had the past month, two months, you know, in in the case of a lot of your listeners, the past year, two years to prepare for this kind of a situation. They don't necessarily have the savings to be able to prepare right now. You tell me, right? I mean, what do you think is going to happen with crime? Mm -hmm. It it seems to me like it's an inevitable thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And so we've got to prepare for that. 
Well, and, and I was also thinking, you know, when everyone was stocking up, which I think it's people have cut back a little bit, but yeah. when everyone was freaking out and stocking up, I mean, there are people that live paycheck to paycheck. And honestly, oh, yeah. since this whole thing has happened, I realized how many people do not plan for the worst. And I'm, you know, and I'm thinking that's just part of life that you, you do always have like money put aside, you know, in case shit hits the fan. And, and yeah. now I'm like, wow, nobody, I guess, you know, my mom taught my sister and I well, but like nobody else knew this. And, but when that happens and you're living, you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't have the money to stock up on food to feed your family, you know, pay, you know, bills and stuff like that. So of course, what are you going to do in order to protect your family? And people will always go to extremes to do that or to protect themselves. So it's, uh, I mean, I think, and I think obviously most people know this, which is why gun sales have been through the roof, ammunition, you know, you can't find it anywhere. And if you do, it's just really like the price has just really increased. So I've, I've actually been seeing some reasonable prices on stuff. Um, really? a lot of people right now, yeah, a lot of people are posting, you know, on Facebook to try and let folks know, you know, who has what in stock and mm-hmm. places like Academy and Bass Pro, and those kinds of places, I, I saw some place where Wolf was 137 a thousand. Wow, and that was today. Now I don't know if it was still in stock, yeah. but it seems to me that maybe that bump in ammo. You know, my fingers are crossed for folks that that was kind of a hiccup, and maybe you know things will come back into stock like toilet paper did. I know, at least in this area. Oh, it did because um, it hasn't come back in my area, and I'm like, eventually, these people that have already stocked up, they got to stop buying. <laughs> So eventually right. they got to give the rest of us a chance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. And like you said, you know, some folks are, are prepared just as a way of life. You know, a couple of weeks before things started to really get, you know, hairy or questionable, I, I just kind of took a tour of the basement and went through the pantries and the fridge and the freezers and was like, okay, what are we, what have we kind of slacked off on? What haven't we paid enough attention to? And, you know, we shored up some things, but in general, we didn't need to do much because that's kind of just the lifestyle we live. Yeah, I totally. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think this whole thing has probably opened eyes for a lot of people and, Mm -hmm. you know, and just how prepared they are. And and at the end of the day, if nothing else, I hope that people start saving, like putting money aside. Even and it's not even I understand if like you're not making enough money to do that. But there's people that I know that easily make one hundred thousand a year. And they don't have, they have no idea how they're going to pay, you know, their bills next month. And it's just crazy to me. So I don't know. Do you have a primary training facility that you work from? Um, I do. It's, it's kind of been fluctuating over the years and, and, uh, you know, it's always a question of what the best option is at the time, but primarily I'm out of Southington Hunt Club, which is in Garrettsville, Ohio. Okay. And it's a, it's an amazing old sand and gravel quarry. That's reclaimed, you know, 90 foot cliff backstop on most of the bays. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Nice. Yeah. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. Do you travel quite a bit to train? I used to, and it's kind of funny, you know, this year was the year when I decided I was going to get back out on the road more. Yeah. Um, I've kind of been schizophrenic in my career in, in some ways and that I've got my hands in lots of different things. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about the instruction. I do a lot of writing and video work in the industry as well. Uh, I've got a product that I, that I market and sell. And so I've got all these different things that I've got my hands in. And so over the, over the past couple of years, instructing, especially on the road has kind of fallen back. And I made the decision this year and this is the year I'm going to get back at it. And I was going to hit, you know, 15 states this year. Well, now all of a sudden nobody's going anywhere. So, right. Uh, I know. An interesting scenario. This year, just April alone, I had so many cool plans. So, I mean, I was looking forward to, you know, uh, NRA annual meetings. Um, yeah, right. Just because it was Nashville and I've never been to Nashville. But aside from that, I was also asked to go on this trip where I would go with some of the like really like top content creators. And we were going to be shooting machine guns out of helicopters, shooting alligators from airboats. I mean, and I've Very never, cool. I've never hunted. And I'm like, oh, cool. My first kill is going to be an alligator. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, a great pair of boots. I know. And a part of me is like, I don't even want to shoot anything. But I'm like, don't be a weak ass bitch. You got to be cool in front of these people. You got to like, you know, don't be girly. Cause I think I'd be the only girl there. So it's like, you got to shoot an alligator in the face. You just have to. 
But of course, all of that stuff got canceled and it's like, I'm so bummed. But yeah, I think everyone's kind of in the same boat. I think a lot of us were ready to do a lot more traveling Mm because, you know, even other people that I talked to in the industry, they had a ton of trips planned and now just now everyone's sitting at home and it's like, what do you do? And I, I personally know I should be recording content, but it's so hard to get motivated. And then it's, you almost don't want to like blow through all your ammo because you're like, I don't know if this is going to come back or not. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of lucky in that, uh, 2012, I got caught a little bit shorthanded on ammo. I wasn't in any kind of a serious situation, but I wasn't able to supply my students with enough ammo to keep shooting for as long as they wanted to shoot. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough that I've got 25,000 rounds worth of components stashed away so I can load my own. But I don't really want, especially when nine millimeter was what, you know, so 18, cheap. 19 cents a round. I, I know. I don't load for that. I know. Um, I probably paid more for the components than that. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, so I'm really hoping that it loosens up. And of course, we'll have to see. Yeah. We'll have to see what it is that happens. Yeah. Hopefully, I'm hoping this just lasts another month and then we'll go back to normal. But I feel like that's kind of wishful thinking. But I well, don't know. Again, you know, I don't have any of the answers. I'm glad to see that today the the um, word came down from the CDC that we should be wearing masks. And I think that that's a really important step in helping to get things under control. There's not a single person, you know, or a single family that's actually going to stay absolutely home all of this time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people are going out to do things that they set as a priority enough to go out and do. Yeah. And if we're wearing masks... That's going to help to protect everyone else around us if we happen to be somebody that's carrying the virus. Definitely, especially now that they're saying you can just get it from talking to people. It's airborne, right. and but the problem is, is where are you going to get the masks? Well, and that's that's one of the issues, <laughs> right? And and one of the hopes I've got is that folks are going to step up and make that happen. You know, there are lots of people that are making quality soft goods that are firearms related. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I bet they could tool up to make some pretty cool masks. Um, I'm definitely all for, you know, the, the black camo. I love that. You know, that's my favorite. Right. Yeah. The multi-cam black. Yeah. Thank you. I couldn't pull it. It's maybe that vodka that I'm into now. That's Uh, not that easy, but yeah, (laughs) the black multi-cam is, is great. And you know, yeah. Yeah. If we can just keep the droplets from getting out into the air, it's going to help so much. I want one that looks like a little kitty with some whiskers. Nice. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> but I might as well. Maybe I'll make my own and have fun with it. One last question. What are your future goals? Mm, future goals. Boy, that yeah. I've got my hands in everything. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's hard to narrow it down to one thing. Yeah. I would love to be in a situation where I'm able to break down my work into teaching and video content creation. And and what's important to me about that video content creation is I get to do what I want to do mm-hmm. and get paid well to do it. Yeah. I do I do a lot of video content creation now and, and I'm lucky to have some deals with some great folks, but I'm often making the content that they would like mm-hmm. from the angle that they want to make it from. And what I would love is to be able to, you know, get paid significant bucks to put out my video on, you know, this angle of this product, this technique, this situation, that that would be awesome. Yeah, it definitely would be. I mean, I'm, I'm at a position where I just put out whatever, but that's just cause I'm not getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean, I will disclose like, yeah, I do get paid for some of my content, but I did just put out a video where I'm working out with guns because aside from toilet paper being, you know, you can't find it anywhere. You also cannot find workout equipment. So like hand right. weights, core balls, all that stuff just sold out everywhere. So I'm like, Hey guys, you have guns at your house. We're going to get creative and this is how you use them. And yeah. so when it comes to that workout thing, one of the strategies I use and, and others may find this helpful. And I used to, I got this from swim coaching. And one of the things I did, I coached swimming for years. I had my swimmers visualize. And so when I work out, that's what I do. I pretty much, I, I chilled out, lay down, you know, do some breathing exercises and then visualize a really serious workout, you know, something really intense. And then I just wrap it up from there. Yeah. And I visualize that like I have abs and stuff. <laughs> I like it. That's good. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So for listeners who want to find you, where can they find you on the interwebs? 
best place is safetysolutionsacademy.com. Uh, that's where the classes are. That's where a lot of the content is. That's where my, you know, 450-ish podcast episode links are and uh, lots of video stuff there too. And Gun Mag Warehouse and uh, now the Armory Life for Springfield. Those nice. are the, the three places. Very cool. All right, cool. So before we get into the AF segment, we're going to talk about Sportsman's Guide real quick. So I was on their website just kind of looking around because they're always coming out with like new products. And one of their newest products that they uh, just put on their website is is from Guide Gear, which is essentially Sportsman's Guide's brand. And it's a men's cooling fishing hoodie with a neck gaiter. And this thing, all right, so you're not going to pick up a date wearing this. But when you're by yourself, you're fishing, obviously you don't want to get like super sunburnt. You also, you're going to probably get, you know, pretty hot. So this is made with like a defy fabric technology and it also has, uh, it's sun protect, uh, protection. So it's, I mean, I think it's a really great design. If you guys go fishing or anything outdoor related, I would highly recommend it. And you can find this at Sportsman's Guide. If you find a bunch of stuff you like, Use the code uh, GUNFUNNY20, and that gets you $20 off your purchase of $100 or more. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as... Never mind. AF. So I thought this was kind of funny. A person filmed sneaking down a street dressed as a bush during quarantine. So, you know, with... uh coronavirus a lot of people are they have like the stay-at-home orders in place and this uh one neighbor caught her other neighbor on uh video well she videotaped it she caught her neighbor dressed up like a bush and he was he was hiding behind like trash cans you know ducking just basically carefully moving down the street and this happened in the UK and the person that recorded it she uploaded the video or she or he, I don't know. They uploaded it to the video onto TikTok and it's gotten like over a million views. I don't know. It's pretty funny, but it appears that the neighbor was actually just pulling a prank and not actually sneaking out of the house because later they returned with grocery bags and grocery shopping is still allowed under the current restrictions. But it just goes to show that people are definitely getting cabin fever and they're doing whatever to entertain themselves. And I can actually... Uh, say that I saw this yesterday when I was driving, there was somebody running like jogging in a, you know, that, that, uh, blow up T-Rex costume. Yeah. Okay. So there was, there was this one, but this one was just like the skeletonized T-Rex and it was just running down the street, just jogging like nothing, you know? And I'm, I'm like, people are seriously losing their damn minds over this whole thing. Well, I I mean, Folks, you're all cramping my lifestyle. Uh, I'm used to being home in the neighborhood pretty much by myself during the week. Right. If I need to scoot outside to the truck to grab something and I might not be wearing pants, like normally, it's not a big deal. Yeah, because like nobody's home. Sticks. Okay, now there are people everywhere all the time. Yeah. Everybody's out walking, getting healthy. I know. Suddenly and- they're all like outdoorsy and I'm like, okay, who right. the hell are you, Karen? Because I know that, you know... This is the first time that you've been hiking. You know, it's yes. like, I know they're all, they're, all, I totally agree. They're all cramping my style because I also work from home majority of the time. Like being self employed, I could pick my schedule. Right. And so, like during the week, it's like awesome because that's when I go grocery shopping. I, you know, kind of fight the crowds. And now it's like every day, Saturday. Yes. And people are everywhere. That's what I said to my wife before I came down. I'm like, it's like a beautiful spring Saturday, except it's Thursday. What's yeah. going on? I know. <laughs> it's which is good that people are getting out and I'm glad yeah. that the government hasn't restricted people from doing that. I know that they have closed down a few trails um like in Colorado Springs there's the Manitou Incline mm-hmm. and that's just like I mean just a bunch of stairs like going up a mountain and um but they they closed that which is weird but I guess to a degree people would be kind of close to each other. 
Yeah, walking back, you know, one person going up, one person coming down, both breathing heavy. Well, and you you also, I mean, I've done it a few times. You take breaks. You are not just going to go straight up without taking a break. I don't care who you are. So there's people, you know, off to the side, just, you know, huffing and puffing. Because, I mean, it definitely tests like you're like, oh, it's there are so many times where I just wanted to turn around. But so I guess I can understand that. But I am glad that they they didn't restrict any other hiking just because it is like nice to get out and you do get cabin fever and even working out, it's like, I've worked so hard to like lose 20 pounds. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to gain it all back because, right. you know, I got little Debbie in the kitchen. I got pop tarts, you know, all the junk cereal pizzas and it's, uh, so I'd like to think that I'm getting a little bit of exercise by walking around. <laughs> Yeah, it's great to get out. And and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this. You know, you talked about the idea of how is this going to, you know, change people and how they prepare and, and what they're thinking about. But how is this going to change where people work from and, and what our attitudes are about being outside? You, know, you, you look at the Great Depression and, you know, my grandparents were still hiding money in the oven, you know, in the, in the 90s. Yeah. So these aren't lessons that are forgotten when they're experienced. And mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see what, you know, what my kids are doing when they're 60 years old that came from this year. Yeah. And so, and I was thinking about that. I'm like, it would be interesting to see if people keep up with it. If they're like, Hey, I forgot how enjoyable it is to, you know, take a walk around the block or go hiking or, you know, spend like quality time with family. I've also, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of new gun owners that were kind mm-hmm. of anti-gun that now realize like, oh, you know, like things are getting crazy and what am I going to use for your protection? So I'm curious to see if people are going to go back to their old ways, sell their guns, be anti-gun again, or if it is going to change their mind and they're going to come over to the other side. And then I was also thinking that I bet you a lot of businesses probably realize, hey, we can actually get quite a bit of work done by just doing, you know, meetings like virtually as opposed mm-hmm. to in person. And so I think it is going to change quite a bit of stuff, but I don't know. I'm curious to see exactly what it will change. Yeah. Only time will tell. Yeah. Only time will tell. What I know is, you know, when my kid's teacher spends one hour on Zoom with the kids in the morning and then they're on their own the rest of the day, you know, that's an interesting precedent that we're setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. Now, I don't know. Maybe we're not going to come anywhere near the level of education as a result. Yeah, I know. Imagine if we did. I know. Definitely. All right. Before we get into the Q&A, we're going to talk about Sharps Bros real quick. Sharps Bros recently uh, released an AK receiver, which they have. They've already had the AK receiver out, but this one is with a 1913 rail in the back. So instead of using the normal stock and tube, you have that 1913 rail, which is awesome. You can find that at sharpsbros.com. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm almost tempted to build my own AK. I haven't gotten to that point yet. I don't know enough, but that's one of the things that, you know, it's on the on the to-do list. So you mentioned Ken at the beginning of the show, who's, who kind of connected us together. Yeah. Well, Ken is at Century and I went over to Vermont and visited with Ken, the factory and got to go through probably 85% of building an AK, you know, Mm -hmm. welding up the, the receiver. I mean, it was, it was a pretty awesome experience to go and see how it is that they're actually building AKs and the machining that's happening. Really cool stuff. I could just, yeah, I think that that would be interesting. And the thing with AKs is it's not as easy as ARs, mostly because like a lot of these parts don't fit. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I've got, I've got 10 receivers in, you know, flats Uh sitting in my gun room and I bought those years ago, you know, during one of the scares. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll get some flats. That way I can build up some AKs because they're simple, right? Yeah. Okay. Now but that I've gone through the process, <laughs> holy smokes, building an AR is a piece of cake. Oh, yeah. I know. And that's why I have not branched off. I have I did get a, um, a Sentry Arms Draco and I had that completely like customized. Like I think Family Firearms, uh, Forrest who did it, he – only kept like three components on the entire gun and then replaced everything else. But I mean, that's the closest that I've come to 
really having like a custom AK. And what's nice about the Sharps Bros one is it's just even the look, it has like a, just a really nice look to it. I know that there's classes available. I think he teamed up with, um, who's that main, uh, AK guy drawing a blank. Fuller. Yes. Jim Fuller. Yeah, Jim Fuller. Yeah. Sorry. I was drawing a blank. <laughs> and, uh, and so they're teaching classes and stuff, which I think if I were to do it, I probably would have to take a class just because if something doesn't fit, I don't have the tools to like, okay, cool. Well, right. we'll just take down right. a little bit, you know, but yeah, it's just, I, I think that that's the direction that, you know, the industry is heading in. AKs are definitely making a comeback and I don't know, I would definitely recommend. Well, so sharps, when it comes to air 15s, they had the Jack, right? Which was mm -hmm. the really cool looking receiver with the with the skull out front, right? Yeah. Are they going to do one of those with AK, maybe call it the Ivan? So I've heard that they are going to come out with a new one, but I'm not sure exactly what receiver that's going to be. Um, and I know that Sharps is also branching off to making chassis, like they have okay. the chassis for the, uh, how a mini. And so they're, they're starting to branch off and, you know, kind of, I'm not saying that they're, they're steering away from your typical AR receiver. They still have those, but they're definitely branching off into some exciting things. So Very cool. we'll see what happens, but Q and A. Q and A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. So this question was just recently submitted by a listener and he wants to know, and actually I, I chose this question because I thought it would be appropriate since you're also an instructor. So the question is, what's the longest time you can go without live fire before your performance significantly declines despite a regular dry fire routine? Hmm. It's a really good question. I think that that's probably going to differ from person to person, don't you think? Oh, yeah, totally. Because the thing is, is I tell my students all the time, if they can't make it to the range, they should absolutely dry fire. Like dry firing is, you know, an excellent exercise and and it, you know, it, it helps where you don't really lose uh, a lot of that. Well, the, the, the neural pathway, right? The, the the rut in the road of how to operate the gun and how to press the trigger, all those mm -hmm. things. Yeah. You know, a but, lot of people call that muscle memory. Yeah. Which I know a lot of people are steering away from now, right, but I still, right. I'm still like, yeah, it's muscle memory. I mean, at the end uh, of the day, I'm still kind of a, but it just, it takes time. It takes, you have to do things like thousands of times before you just do it without any thought mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. so. so the main difference between, you know, dry fire, live fire is really recoil. Mm -hmm. Obviously sound, and that can be an impact for some people, but recoil is really the big thing. And what I find is if I'm not acutely paying attention to the fact that the gun is going to recoil and live fire, even though it's not when I'm dry firing, that I can allow habits to slip in that shouldn't be there. Right. There are things that I do to manage recoil, mm -hmm. the way that I grip the gun, the, the amount of pressure that I put into it, those kinds of things, you know, the, the, the directions that I'm pressing as I grip the gun mm -hmm. that I don't, I don't have to do them when I'm dry fire. It just yeah. doesn't have to be there. And so if you're not attentive to those things, then you're not actually going to be building those habits. And so I think that really the question comes down to how comfortable are you with recoil and how attentive are you going to be to the fine details of what you really need to do during live fire when you're not live firing? And so, you know, most people, man, if you got to the range once a month, you'd be in great shape. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that you wouldn't have some kind of a decrease in your performance level, but I think that that, you know, like you mentioned this earlier, that'd be way more than the majority of gun owners that shoot a magazine of ammunition, put the gun away and never shoot it again. Yeah. If they, if at all, they shoot a magazine. If at all. Yep. Yeah. I, I actually, you know, I didn't think about that with the dry firing, but you're right because you're not anticipating that recoil. You're not gripping mm -hmm. it the same way. And, uh, one of the things that I've been working on is trying to limit the, the gun from like flipping up and, you know, mm -hmm. managing that recoil. And it's been kind of, it's definitely been, uh, 
I don't know. It's, it's been a little difficult because I've tried different things. I've had different instructors tell me different things. And, and then I don't know if it's because like, I'm also losing weight. So there's not as much like weight behind the gun as there was. But then I see like, you know, women that are like five foot and they're able to shoot the gun like a total badass. And I'm like, all right, well, cool. What's my excuse? <laughs> so let me ask this question. What is it that you're doing? You know, what's the the top thing you're focusing on right now to try and keep the gun? And what I'm hearing you say is you want to shoot the gun flatter. Right? Mm-hmm. You want the gun to stay flatter, return to the point of aim more quickly. What, what's the biggest thing you're doing? So I, so initially when starting off, I would do the push pull. So now I still kind of do that push pull, but I also squeeze and then I bend my elbows just a little bit so that that recoil is going into my arms as opposed to, you know, it's, it's, uh, pushing up. Yeah. So there's two, there's two camps out there, right? There's the bend of the elbows and then there's the, you know, which is the absorb the recoil camp. Mm -hmm. And then there's the camp that's like transfer the recoil to the ground. And, you know, so you can go back and forth and argue. I think in my personal opinion, the absorb the recoil works better for stronger people. And the transfer the recoil tends to work better for people that don't have, and, and, and let me rephrase that people that have more mass behind the gun. You brought this up as you're losing weight, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a 220 pound guy. I'm kind of lying. It's been too much. <laughs> you're like, gain, it's, right? yeah, I've already gained the Corona 20. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, so I can, I can be a little bit more lazy with the recoil management than a 120 pound person could, right? Uh-huh. It only makes sense. Whoa, whoa, whoa. To, what to makes you think it. I weigh 120 pounds? All right. I was no, actually just talking about my daughter. But oh, hey, well, know. I was like, you're pretty like, you're pretty spot on. <laughs> it's like 125. So, nice, nice. So I, th- I, th- I think that you've got to, you know, kind of sort through that and see what it is that works well for you. I think a lot of the issues that we have with guns can be dealt with with the grip. I think that that is a huge component. Having a gun that fits properly mm-hmm. and then having a good grip on the gun. And and I find for most students that if we are squeezing with our primary hand, like we're crushing a pair of pliers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're squeezing from front to back. Mm-hmm. And then with the other hand, with our, with our support hand, we're going to squeeze as if we're pinching our fingers against the meat of our hand. Right. So it's not as much of a front to back as it is a side to side mm-hmm. that can make a big difference. And then the other thing is when people use their their primary thumb and they put it on top of their support hand, so many times I watch students push that support hand off the gun in recoil with yeah. that thumb. Yeah. And and so for folks that are out there trying to manage recoil, you know, if you can avoid those things, you know, it might help you. And then get a Mantis 10X Elite and and try different things. And measure the recoil. It's going to tell you how much the muzzle is. It's going to give you a, a degree of muzzle lift, um, the angle off to the side. The analysis that the the this Mantis 10X Elite can do for you is amazing. Hmm, that's good to know. Potential sponsor, reach out. Talk to them. Uh, well, it's funny. They, they, did, they contacted me like two months ago. Perfect. And now I'm thinking, I'm like, well, should have emailed them back you now? <laughs> Well, well, but especially now, if you're working on trying to manage recoil, like it's the perfect thing yeah. to, to reach out about, right? Now there's a reason to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because I've been shooting now for like a little over seven years and I've always been very accurate. I don't have an issue with that, but it's just like I want to shoot quicker and, yeah, you know, and I also don't want the gun to own me. Like I want to have control over the gun. What gun do you shoot? I mean – Really, the one that I shoot the best is probably my Glock 17. That's a big gun. And I say that because I can barely manage a Glock 17. Hmm. I can hardly defend the trigger safety. I have pretty big hands, though. What's that? I have pretty big hands, and that's the gun that I've. Yeah, and that's the gun that I've, like, Glocks I've always shot the best, accuracy wise. But maybe, I don't know. Maybe I should try something else. So let me throw this out there. The fit of the gun makes a big difference when it comes to absorbing recoil. And 
what I try to find for myself and I encourage my students to do is to take the web of your hand between your thumb and your index finger. Mm -hmm. And I want the back strap of the gun to be centered in the web of the hand. And then my finger needs to be able to easily defeat the trigger safety and sit in the spot that I'm comfortable with. And that's why I say the Glock 17 is a big gun because I can hardly, I have some Glock 17s where I can't defeat the trigger safety. You know, maybe there's a little burr on there or something, or but I can't make that safety disengage if my hand is centered. Now, if I rotate my thumb around the back of the gun, now I can work the trigger no problem at all. But now I've got the joints, the bones of the thumb that are trying to absorb the recoil as opposed to the web of the hand. The web of the hand is going to send it into my wrist, into my forearm, up into my shoulder. Well, that's good, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's putting meat behind it. But when that thumb is there, well, now the gun doesn't have any support behind it to stop that recoil. Yeah, you're right. That's actually really good advice. I run an M&P for that reason. Huh. I'm literally sitting here right now. I'm like, okay, let me take a gun. and, and Yeah. <laughs> but that does make sense. And then I also started wearing gloves just because my hands, like I don't mm-hmm. have a ton of calluses on my hands. So I'm like, I think that I would be able to operate the gun much easier if it wasn't like hurting the skin of my hands. But that also makes sense that that recoil would be going into that web as opposed to that bone of your thumb. So I wonder if I am reaching a little bit more around yeah, it's just something to look at. And and, and it, what's hard is until now, we've had to look at all these things and, and make some kind of uh, uh, subjective decision. Like, how does it feel, right? But with tools like the Mantis or with, you know, 240 frame per second video in Coach's Eye, which is a, you know, $12 app you can download, you can look at the angle that the muzzle rises in that recoil and you can try different things and make comparisons and see what works more consistently. I mean, we have the kinds of tools that are at our disposal now are what, you know, Olympic, well, you're in Colorado Springs, right? You know, the Mm -hmm. U S Olympic, you know, facility there. These are the kinds of tools that they were using, you know, a dozen years ago to try and make their athletes better. We can have those now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. Well, we got off into a little tangent, but hopefully (laughs) listeners can also apply what you just told me. Because I thought you gave really excellent advice. So thank you for that. No problem. So ultimately you're saying that if you can get to the range, you know, once a month, you're in good hands. That's what I think. That's what I try and do for myself. And let's face it, when you work in the gun industry, you don't get to shoot as much as people think you do. Yeah. For you you at least. Exactly. Totally agree. Although I will say that ever since I started a YouTube channel, it's pushing me to go to the range and shoot more. Whereas like mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, you're standing behind a student, you're like, okay, you got to do this and that. And right, then once right. it's over, you're like, all right, well, I'm going to go grab lunch and yep. you're not going to stick around and, you know, shoot for yourself. So I agree with that. All right. Uh, Palmer 80. So right now they have their PF9 SS 80% single stack frame kit. Uh, it's the equivalent of a Glock 43 and it is, um, it's compatible with Gen 4 components. So I think that that's going to be my next Palmer 80 that I work on because it's just, I don't know. I'm a big fan of the Glock 42 and the 43. I did get a chance to shoot the Palmer 89 SS at, uh, when I was in Georgia about six months ago and it was awesome. So definitely check them out. Palmer80.com. Use the code GUNFUNNY and that gets you 15% off. Talk, Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. So recently, FGC9 uh, fulfilled the promise of a 3D printed gun and uh, it's deterrence dispensed released the FGC nine design. It's a nine millimeter carbine and it uses Glock mags and an AR 15, uh, fire con- control group. Basically they wanted to, let's see, who was it? It was Jay Stark 1809. His motivation for the project was due to the frustration regulations of laws. So he basically embarked on a journey to learn how to produce his own firearms without using you know, stuff that most people, uh, wouldn't have, ha- wouldn't have access to, or there's regulations behind it. Um, you do need a 3D printer, but they figure it out, you know, basically this gun, you can make it even if you have like minimal 
gun experience. If you don't know, you know, you're not like a gunsmith or anything before that. So this is why it's special compared to other 3D printed designs because other 3D printed guns, they're really just the frames that use pre-built barrels and other gun parts. Whereas FGC nine is made almost entirely out of 3D parts and unregulated materials. It could be made by anyone and the designer lives in Europe where guns and gun parts are heavily restricted. You might also ask, okay, well, what is, you know, what do you do for the barrel? Cause I would think that that would be the hardest thing to find. Yeah. Even if you were to go to like Home Depot and you're like, Oh, cool. A little metal, you know, round, whatever. So the barrels rifled metal, uh, it's a rifled metal barrel made through a process called electrochemical machining. And Ivan the Troll developed the easy to replicate ECM rifling process for nine millimeter barrels. Um, it allows barrels to be built in small indoor spaces like an apartment or a bathroom. The ECM process lets the average person create a rifled barrel from metal at home using salt water and electrodes uh, without requiring expensive machine tools and metal working experience. So this is actually like really interesting because you can legit like create and I don't know, like I posted the link and I would highly recommend watching the video. It performs really well. I mean, they're just shooting like shot after shot. Whereas I think a lot of these other 3D printed guns, they'll, you could shoot a few rounds through it, but I think ultimately it's not going to last as long. Whereas this one, it looks like it's well-made. It will, you know, withstand quite a bit of rounds through it. And it's, you know, really it's designed so that really anyone can make it and you have access to these parts where regardless of where you live or what the country restrictions are, you can still do it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's almost like this bridges the gap between, you know, like a liberator style gun, which was intended to fire one or two shots in its life Mm -hmm. to a gun that might actually function. I don't, want, I don't know that I'm ready to say long-term, Yeah, but longer-term, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. And um, so instead of going through like the struggle of legal battles with the federal government, various state governments, they operate as a decentralized network of mostly anonymous gun designers. So they don't even – like they use, you know, like fake names like Ivan the Troll mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. The whole – I mean it, it's kind of cool and it's kind of like the ultimate like – FU, which, hold on, let me see what it says. So, um, I did read that FGC, uh, it stands for fuck gun control. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> like the right. ultimate FU. <laughs> right. And this, I mean, this stuff, this information is available to anyone, uh, who has, you know, internet access, but kind of interesting. Yeah, the electrochemical process of making that rifled barrel seems pretty cool. Yeah, I don't quite understand that. And I guess, and I was thinking that you probably would because you were a math and science teacher. And I'm just reading it and I'm like, da, 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 I don't even know. But, you know, YouTube will explain it. So the only thing that I know that is similar to it is I have a a magazine base pad that I designed for the shield called the MagFix. Mm -hmm. And in the design process, I'm not even going to remember what it's called, but the company that did the engineering for me to take it to a a plastic molded part, they did a printing process that basically shot a laser into a salt bath and that produced a plastic part. Wow. So literally you think of a beam of light mm-hmm. hitting a, a, a solution and that made polymer appear or a plastic appear. It sounds like that's the same kind of a situation with the electrochemical machining. I, I might be wrong. I, I didn't have a chance to look it up before the show, but you know, I wonder if it's that kind of a, you know, you have a machine that uses a laser into a pool of a solution and then, then you get your metal barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I originally was thinking we we're talking about laser sintering, which is like what Daniel Defense used to make their suppressor, the uh, Daniel Defense wave, right? That was a 3D printed, but that's done like by melting metal and you know laser. Mm-hmm. That's not something you're going to do in an apartment. Yeah, if something exactly. Goes wrong, you're burning down the apartment building and you've got more issues than gun control issues to deal with then. Yeah. Um, so pretty cool. I, I love it that this stuff is happening because like, you know, freedom needs to be spelled with a capital F. 
Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. And it's, it's so funny because I think back to like when I first got into guns, you know, just being straight out of New York City, living there for eight years. And I'm like, well, you know, I could understand both sides. And it's like the longer I've been in the gun industry, the more I'm just like, I think everyone should own a gun. I think that there should be no regulations. Like I've become so just, you know, abdomen about like zero gun control. Right. And I don't know. I mean, and then you kind of go back to like, oh, cool. So the criminals, you know, they get access, but I'm like, they already have access. Right. So, all right. Uh, Trigger Brew. So if you guys, uh, I'm sure if you're like me, I've gotten kind of lazy and it's been a little hard to get motivated, especially when a lot of people aren't working and they're telling you to stay at home. And it's like, eventually you just kind of want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. But turn to Trigger Brew. Their coffee is amazing. And I've been drinking it throughout the day, not just in the mornings, you know, to just stay awake, get my, my work done. And if you go to triggerbrew.com, use the code gunfunny, you'll get 20% off. And now it is time for iTunes reviews. All right. So Paul, pay attention because you're going to pick a winner after I read the two. Okay. Oh my goodness. (laughs) All right. So first review, supremacy and darkness, five stars, clever, humorous, and great industry guests. Keep up the good work. Second is 189JT, five stars, electrostatically charged. Uh, Great episode with TA targets. Looking forward to adding their new vital zone targets to my range. Powerful message on personal growth and investing in ourselves woven throughout the episode. It's important lifelong journey. It is an important lifelong journey for all of us. And I think the wine's getting in my head because, you know, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, da, 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 whatever. All right. So out of those two, pick a winner to win the newest gun funny Ava Flanell patch. Well, it has to be 189 JT. Now, don't get me wrong. Supremacy and Darkness, like great, great review. Mm -hmm. But apparently uh, they didn't listen to this episode because, you know, humorous and great industry guests, that, that would be me. No, wrong. Well, I mean, I would like to think that I was humorous. I had a few jokes. I don't know. I I mean, I I was was, like... It was a forced laugh on my part. I got to tell you. Okay. That's great. (laughs) It's all right. Because remember when Ken, like he put us both on a text message and he's like, hey guys, meet each other. And you're like, yeah, Ava, I'm pretty sure I met met you at one point. I was like, oh yeah, I remember. (laughs) Don't remember. Well, the funniest part was like, hey guys, meet each other. And at that point in time on my phone, you're just a number. Like, I I'm know. Like, oh, hi. Great to see you again. I have had no idea. I know. Thanks, so Ken. professional. Thanks, I know. But that's why we like them. Mm-hmm. All right. So 189JT, contact me and you are getting the newest patch. And now it is time to wrap up. So guys, you can find me at gunfunny.com. There's links to everything. If you can't get enough of the show, be, um, consider becoming a patron just by, you know, any pledge $3, whatever, you get access to the Facebook uh, patron-only group. And it's a lot of fun, especially, I don't know, now that we've been like out of work, most of us were just on social media. The other day I went live while I was cleaning my guns. I don't know. It's just, it's fun. Uh, there's a lot of good people in there. And you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash gun funny. Also, Blown Deadline is giving away a $300 gift certificate to a lucky patron each month, which I have to draw a lucky winner actually in the next couple of days. I also wanted to thank the $25 patrons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Ryan Morrison, Michael Alexio, Elliot and Mike Pappas, Joe Lyons, and Justin Paulson. King of the Patrons is still Jon Snow, and he wants me to say that in police radio communications, anyone attacking operator tickles is known as code 10-56, dot, 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 a suicide. I didn't know that that was the code, but yeah, I mean, nobody attacks operator tickles, so... Also, lastly, wanted to thank my um, editor, Kenny Ortega, and hopefully he edits out all of the mistakes that we made, but who knows, you know, but now I might actually go back and, and listen and make sure that he's doing it because typically I've been too busy to listen, but now I have more time. So, and then Paul, I also wanted to thank you for being a guest on the show. You were really great. Just remind people once again, where they can find you. 
best place is safetysolutionsacademy.com. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. And enjoy your vodka and whiskey. And I think, Absolutely. you know, I think I'm after this, I'm going to try that, that mixture. <laughs> it's a pretty good, you know, I'll call it the Corona, Corona 19. <laughs> nice. Nice. Corona's going to have all kinds of new things, right? I got my first Corona cut yesterday. My wife cut my hair. Uh, glad this isn't a video podcast. Oh, she I did know. a great job. Don't get me wrong. But uh, no, there's so many guys right now walking around with really bad hair cuts if they even care to cut or they look like cavemen. Right. And I'm like, I mean, I don't know how to cut men's hair because I've had a few of my guy friends like, hey, can you like cut the back because they can't see the back? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm I literally like, I don't trust myself with, but yeah, this whole YouTube. thing. YouTube. YouTube. I don't you know. You can learn everything on YouTube. Man. I mean, you we can. We medium fade and we did our best. <laughs> and you're like, and now, hey, you know, maybe some people come out of this like looking amazing and they can cut their own hair and then right. they don't, you know, they can save like an extra $30 a month. Right. Yeah. That'd be awesome. You never know. Well, on that note, we're out of here. <laughs> Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.